0: It's not. Sometimes I flip. Hey, all children are dismissed to Children's Church. We would love to have all the youngins go and have some fun. It's good to have so many today. Praise the Lord. As they are departing, I think it'd be a good time for us to go to the Lord in prayer. We have several in our church that that we need to be lifting up in prayer. I know uh, Miss Kay is having knee surgery this week. And uh, on the, I think it's the 24th and is going to be uh, getting some care after that in one of our, our care facilities in the area. We've had several other things go through the prayer chain. Um, cancers have ha- have come back and people are having surgery, uh, lots of lots of health things, lots of things going on and Everybody's been stuck in their house in the cold for a while. We also want to remember those in Texas. I've got family in Texas. My, my sister lives in southern Texas in the bustling metropolis that is in Bernie, Texas. Um, spelled nothing like the guy that is the, the senator. And uh, they just got water this last like two days. And so we want to be praying for those in Texas and those who have been affected by the, the ice and the cold in Texas, and as well as the, the many things that have been going through the prayer chain. Those who have cancer want to continue to remember Philip Gleason um, and many others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we come before you now, Lord, after singing these powerful words that that we've already sung today, that in Christ alone we've placed our trust, that every hour we need thee, and that, that one great morning we'll fly away and be with you, God. And we're reminded that you are our sustainer, God, that you are worthy of all worship, that you alone are all that we need, and we can place our hope and trust in you. And God, that is the reason why we gather to worship and that is the reason why we come to you in prayer because we know that you are in control, that you are sovereign over all things and that you have a deep concern for your people. And so God, we come before you now, Lord, and we pray that you would be with those that we have mentioned. Lord, we lift up Kay as she has surgery this week. Lord, we pray that that will go well and that she will be strengthened and encouraged through all of that. Lord, that those that are going to be caring for her, both in the hospital and the care facility, will will be able to care for her, get her through the therapy, and that she will be able to, to get back home and be independent. Lord, we lift up those that have been stuck at home because of this weather and the ice. Lord, we pray that you would be a blessing to them, Lord, that you would encourage them, and that even now, hopefully, they are watching online and that they will be blessed at our time together. Lord, we lift up those that have been affected by cancer. Lord, I think of this uh, young man who who lives in Oklahoma that knows my family, knows my dad, and and the cancer that that they had once removed already has now returned. God, we pray for healing in that. Lord, we pray for Philip as he continues to battle and as the, the new treatments begin to take effect. Lord, we pray for healing and restoration with him. Lord, that he would remain strong and healthy through this whole process. Lord, we praise you for those that we know have gotten good reports like Roy. Lord, we know that you are at work still even now. God, we have seen you working in the hearts and minds of people, even in this area. Lord, we lift up Emily as she prepares to go to Texas and and to care for her family as, as she lost her brother. Lord, we pray for strength and protection on her as well. And God, that you would continue to do a mighty work in her life. Lord, we ask also that you would be with us today. Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts even now. And God, that you would transform us through the, the music that we have sung and through the words of scripture that we will be reading today. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, in whom alone we have placed our trust. Amen. A man was walking down the street of his hometown. On a warm spring day. I thought it'd be nice to talk about a warm spring day uh, today. Amen. His arms were covered in tattoos, from his hands all the way up past his sleeves, the sleeves of his short sleeve shirt. As he walked, he passed by an older couple who an older couple who, upon seeing him, became nervous. He looks like a hoodlum. They thought to themselves as they shot glances to one another. And they hurried along, holding tightly to their belongings, refusing to even make eye contact with the man. Soon after, that same man passed by a local shop that had a help wanted sign in the window. The shop owner heard the man coming from the boots that he was wearing and he looked up from the work that he was doing unemployable, the shopkeeper muttered to himself under his breath. It's just so hard to find any good workers among this younger generation. Finally, the man began to approach a small boy sitting on a bench along the sidewalk with his mother. The boy heard the man approaching and looked up. First he saw his boots, then his jeans, then his t-shirt, and then finally His tattoos up and down his arm. The boy finally looked at the man's face. And the boy's face lit up and he began to grin from ear to ear. And he shouted, daddy, as he leapt from the bench into the arms of his smiling father. You know, perspective is a funny thing. Three people saw the same man walking down the street, and yet their reactions to that man were all very different. In our passage today, we are going to see a woman do something for Jesus. And this act by this woman elicits some very different reactions, and indeed very strong reactions from the people who observe it. And much like the story that I have just told you, these people all have something to teach us about this woman's gift and how we approach both Jesus and the church. So let's get into it. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We are going to continue on in our study of Mark, and we are going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Again, I would ask if you are able to please stand for the reading of God's word. In the gospel, according to Mark, we read this. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him, him being Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival. Otherwise, there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon, the leper, and reclining at the table, there was a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii. And the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish to do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when he heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Please be seated. All right, so if you were in Sunday school class this morning, or if you watched it online, and I know many of you were in a class or watched it online today, this story ought to sound very familiar. We were in Luke chapter 7 today in Sunday school class, and, and the story there is very similar to this one. In fact, we find some anointing story of Jesus by a woman in all four Gospels. And they all have a lot of similarities. And there's a lot of ways we can begin to tie these together so much so that, that, that some people have even gone to say that, well, maybe it was the same event. And just because of what the author, whether it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, were trying to communicate about that passage was where they put it in the story. And that's certainly possible. However, if you were in Sunday school this morning, Luke's hap- Luke Luke's account, I'll get it out, don't worry, Luke's account happens much earlier in the story of Jesus. In fact, it places him, instead of in Bethany or somewhere near Jerusalem, it places him back up in Galilee, and we hear different stories, and the focus is a little bit different. In both accounts, a woman approaches Jesus while he's reclining at a table, likely part of some dinner party, but unlike Luke, This passage is more focused on what she did rather than who she was. So what did she do? She anoints Jesus with perfume. That seems to be rather obvious by the story, but it's it's something that we want to consider. We need to think about what is happening here. This is not like perfume that we would buy in the store today. We actually talked a little bit about this in our Sunday school class this morning. In fact, in this passage, we get a a description of what exactly this perfume was. And it was called nard, which is hard to say without chuckling just a little bit. But nard was an oil. It was a fragrant oil that was extracted from a plant that kind of resembled honeysuckle. I don't know if it smelled like honeysuckle, but it resembled honeysuckle called spikenard. And this was actually a plant that grew in the east. You would find it actually in the Himalayas, is where it's most commonly found. And you would find it in countries like China, Nepal, and India. This tells us a little bit about what it was. And that is this, it was expensive. This was something that had a high value because this was something that came from the Orient. This was something that came from the East and and was viewed as something of of high market value. Something exotic and fancy. In fact, we even see if we look at verse 5... That they said that this, this perfume would be valued at roughly 300 denarii. And that may be even by conservative standards. That may have been these few people that, that we're going to talk about in a moment. They said, we know we could get at least 300 denarii for this amount. Now, if we remember, a denarii is a coin. Is, it's a value of money that signified a day's wage. If the average day laborer worked a whole day, they would get one denarii. Which means 300 denarii would equal almost a full year's worth of wages. This is no small gift. When we put it into the context, we also realize that we have a woman who owns this vial, owns this jar of perfume. When we think a little bit about the culture of that time, we realize that women did not get to own much property. There was not many things that a woman could say, this is mine. And so it is highly likely that this this perfume, this alabaster jar of perfume that this woman possesses is probably the most valuable thing that she would ever hope to own. This is no small gift. In fact, what we see from this woman is that this is a tremendous act of love and sacrifice towards Jesus. This woman did not give some of her best, nor did she give all of just something good, but she gave to Jesus all of her very best. But with this in mind, we need to look at how people responded of what she did perspective number one as we look at this passage and the first one we come into contact with is those of the some if we look again at our passage we see that she has done this wonderful beautiful thing and then it says in verse four but some were indignantly remarking to one another we have no idea who specifically the some are they are not identified, but it is highly likely that these some are disciples. We can actually deduce that, that they were some of the, the, some of the some were even the apostles who were in the dinner party present at the time. Scripture reads that they were indignant, which means that they were angry, annoyed, even judging and, 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 and looking down their noses at this woman for what she had done. And they were saying, what a waste. See, they weren't, they weren't upset because they didn't think of it first. Like, oh, I, I should have done something like that. That would have been, you know, man, this is Jesus. Why am I not doing nice things for him while he's waiting for, for dinner? Oh, man, what an error on my part. No, they, were, they weren't jealous because she had thought of it first. They viewed it as a waste of the perfume. They thought that this perfume could be better used as, as something that they sold and got the money for and, and were able to give that to the poor. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret. This is not because the, the some people there had this deep, meaningful burden on their heart for the poor people of Jerusalem and Bethany and that area. That's really had nothing to do with it at all. In fact, it had far more to do with the fact that that was was tradition, really, believe it or not. And it was tradition during the Passover, during the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, during this whole process to give out to the poor, to give out alms, to make donations to help the poor. I can't help but even wonder, um, as I read this and, and kind of learned that little fact, if they just thought, hey, Jesus, you know, Jesus, I, I've been thinking... And you know these last few days, you've been at the temple, and you haven't made many friends. I know you're. I know you're saying it like it is, and I like it that you know you keeping it real and you're saying it like it is. But maybe, maybe we could give a little goodwill out. Maybe if we gave some money to the poor and, and kind of help some people out, maybe we could kind of curry a little favor with the crowd. It might help you when, you know, you take over in, in, in the kingdom and all that stuff. Maybe we could, you know, just, it's just a little politicking. and, you know, we'll take some pictures. We'll, we'll put it in the newspaper and, and, and that way everybody knows you're a pretty good guy. That, that, that's what we should do with this stuff. When we translate this to the 21st century, We have to ask ourselves the question that are there times where we judge people by how they love Jesus? Is there times where we look at people and how they are serving in the church or looking at people and maybe what they do with their gifts, whether those are monetary gifts or or items, things that they want to give for the, the glory of God or just how they serve in the church? And we say, but is that really the best thing you could be doing? Is this going to be, I know that that you feel a burden to work. I mean, let's just say, I I noticed that you really feel a burden to work with young people. And that's good, and I'm happy for you. But do young people really tithe? No. Maybe we should start a ministry to retired people that get a regular paycheck that are going to tithe a little better. That would be a better idea, don't you think? Nudge, nudge. No, we don't do that. At least I hope. If you do, don't tell me. Or do tell me. I don't know. You may not want to tell me. We do that sometimes. We begin to see how other people worship and how other people are are trying to serve the Lord and are trying to make much of God. And we begin to start to judge and even maybe speak indignantly towards because we think that their energy could be better served. Brothers and sisters, I want you to, to hear me at this. The world is already trying to convince people that, that trusting in God, that walking with God, that serving the Lord and, and making your life all about Jesus is a waste of time. We, can, we, we saw that in, and we saw that in the way the world treated the pandemic. When they started throwing out things like what constitute an essential worker, one of the first things they said needs to shut down because we don't need it. It's churches. In fact, in our state and in many other states, whether they are run by people with an R behind their name or people behind, with a D behind their name, they were saying, listen, churches are not essential, but abortion clinics are. So the world is already putting out the thing that what we're doing right now is not important and is a waste of time. We have to be careful to not let pragmatism cause us to do the same thing in the church that we don't look at ministries that people have been called to do and people, ways that people have been called to love Jesus and to serve Jesus and to say, well, what you want to do and what you feel burdened about and what God is calling you to do, we don't deem that important. And so we're not going to do it. I have no doubt as this woman began to pour out this this fragrant oil, this perfume on Jesus' head, began to anoint him, and this was her act of worship towards him. I cannot imagine how crushing it may have felt to her to hear his own followers say, Why are you doing that? What a waste. What were you thinking? Now imagine when we do that to people in our church when they have a burden for homeless people or young people, or they wanna see God move in a neighborhood or a trailer park or a nursing home. I cannot tell you how many stories I have heard throughout the years of men who have walked away from God and have lived rough lives. And when we start talking about church things, they say, you know, there was a time I wanted to be a preacher. And I'm like, do tell. And they say, well, I went up to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I think the Lord's calling me to be a preacher. And my pastor looked me square in the eyes and said, No, he ain't. Go on. And it crushed me. And I never went in church again. It happens. And sometimes people that that we would look to and look to for encouragement are the very ones who would scold us and discourage us and cause us to fall away. Sometimes the best things that we can do for the Lord are not the things that make the most sense. And so we need to prayerfully consider His ways. I love what 1 Corinthians 3 speaks to this in this wonderful church in Corinth that always was so smart and wise. He says this, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may actually become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise and that they are useless. We come to the Lord, not because we're the smartest or the brightest, not because we know the best trick of the trade, but we come to the Lord because we love him. And we serve the Lord because we love him. And we encourage everyone else along the way because they are called to love God also. And yes, it may look different than us. And yes, it may not seem to be the most efficient or the most pragmatic thing at the time. But we should encourage them along the way. This leads us to our second perspective, and that is the, the one of Jesus. So if the pragmatism of the sum was wrong, how did exactly Jesus respond? And, and it's a wonderful thing because he rebukes them immediately. I praise the Lord that, that, that as this woman is pouring out this, this oil perfume on, on Jesus, that they didn't scold her long enough that maybe that tipping of that jar suddenly went back like she was going to save the rest for herself because she'd made a mistake. Instead, almost immediately we see Jesus turn to the some, turn to these disciples, turn to Simon the leper maybe and who knows who else and says, leave her alone. Why are you picking on her? He essentially says, shame on you. What she has done was right and good. In fact, there are three things that Jesus points out and really a lot more, but I want to emphasize three things that he points out to the some who are, are indignant and scolding her. He says, first, that what she has done was good. That it was the right thing to do. He literally says that she has done a good work. She has done a good thing. What she has done was not sin. What she had done was not a mistake. What she had done was not something wrong. But what she had done was right. That she had done a good work. That she had done a good thing. That her action of anointing Jesus was righteous. I cannot help but think that there were still people in that room who were following Jesus, who identified as a disciple of Jesus, and yet they still did not understand who Jesus was. Jesus was more than a teacher. He was more than a teacher that they should learn from. He was more than a prophet that they should heed the warnings of. He was the Christ He was God in the flesh, and that meant that he was worthy of worship. And guys, she was worshiping. She was worshiping the Messiah, the Christ, God in the flesh, who, for all we know, had saved her from her sins. And guys, that's what we should be doing too. We shouldn't be looking for the most efficient use of our money. We shouldn't be looking for the best use of our time. We shouldn't be looking and judging other people by how they do it. And guys, I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of talking to myself on that one. But we should be worshiping Jesus. And everything we do in our life, from our job to our school to our behavior in the building and out of the building, should be pointing our, our hearts in worship towards Jesus and encouraging other people to do the same. Let us never hinder anyone from worshiping God with all their hearts. I don't want this building to be a stumbling block. I don't want the way we dress to be a stumbling block. I don't want our traditions to be a stumbling block. I don't want the order of our service or anything else to allow it to be something that keeps somebody from worshiping God. We should be doing everything we can to clear the path. The second thing we see Jesus say, and this is a, a very interesting statement from Jesus, he says, Listen, you will always have the poor. See, they had this idea, like, no, we could we can help more people, we can do more if we if we assist the poor, and if we give this money to the poor, and we make out these, and we do these, you know, give out alms and, and alleviate the suffering of the poor people of Jerusalem. And he says, Listen, you always have the poor. You do not always have me. Now, what Jesus was likely doing was quoting Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy 15, 11 reads this. It says, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. But then it goes on to say, therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. So when Jesus makes this statement, he says, listen, the poor you will have with you always, but you will not always have me. What he's not saying is, don't worry about the poor. He's not telling us as a church to to close off all all of our benevolence ministries, to never give to people that have a need, to never support ministries like Room at the Inn or Central Valley Feed the Homeless or or anything else that we might be able to help with. Helping Hand of Hope. That's not what he's saying at all. On the contrary, what he is saying is that there is a time and a place for everything. There is a time to serve, to give, and to minister to others. But there is also a time to worship, to sing praises, and to give glory to God. And we need to not get that twisted. I'll be honest, you can go out there and there are many people that have, have gone out in the name of Jesus and made everything about trying to serve other people and help other people. And the problem has become is because they never go to the Lord in worship and never trust in the Lord and, and just allow him to work as they begin to arrogantly believe that, that God needs them. And that if it wasn't for them being on team Jesus, that, that the church would not continue to endure. There are many who ultimately will forsake worship and time with God in order to do stuff for him. And I'm telling you, they are missing something important in their life. But the reverse is also true. We should also... As we worship God and as we spend time here singing and getting into the word and building up one another and encouraging one another, we ought to then turn that around and use that for the glory of God to serve our community and see them come to know Christ. We could very simply say that I don't want to hold to this dogmatically. Sunday mornings, worship God. Let that be a time to worship God, to be in his presence, to be with other believers, to grow in your understanding and your love for the God who loves you. But then the rest of the time, serve him. And serve him as you love God and love your neighbor. But don't use loving your your neighbor as an excuse to not be in his house worshiping. And don't use your worship as an excuse to not serve. Finally, Jesus says probably the most shocking thing that he says in this whole passage. When he says that this woman has prepared my body for burial. See, this woman's actions today were a reminder that Jesus' time was almost up. Jesus knew that he was quite literally only a matter of hours away from his betrayal, from his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. And even while I don't believe that the woman necessarily knew that Jesus was about to die, that she was just worshiping, her act of service was a divine appointment that would prepare Jesus for the end and teach the church until he returns. It is for this reason that he says that she will be remembered wherever the gospel was preached in the whole world. Because her act today is a reminder to all of us that Jesus had to die for our sins. This leads us to the last perspective. And speaking of betrayal, that one last perspective is one that comes from the man named Judas Iscariot. Judas was most certainly one of the sum, which is why we know that one, at least one disciple were in those who protest. In fact, it says in John chapter 12 in the parallel verse that Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? What we learn also from John chapter 12 was that Judas had no concern for the poor whatsoever, nor did he have any concern for Jesus. John 12 goes on to say this. Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And that he had the money box, and that he used to pilfer what was put into it. Because of all this, Mark goes on to say that Judas Iscariot was the one who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to portray him to them. I think perhaps the main point of this passage is to show the sharp contrast between Judas and the woman. Because the woman loved Jesus so much, she gladly gave up her most valuable possession in order to honor him. And yet Judas, along with the chief priests and the scribes, had such disdain for Jesus that the moment he lost anything because of Jesus, he grew angry and he walked away and betrayed Jesus to his enemies. If there is one thing that this passage does, is it reveals who the true followers of Jesus are. The true followers of Jesus don't have titles, don't have appointments, don't have jobs within the church. They're not the sheriff of holy living or the gatekeepers of who is in or who is out. The followers of Jesus, the true followers of Jesus, the real worshipers of God will give anything, do anything to see Christ lifted up and God glorified. They don't make excuses. They don't wait for a better time. They love, and they love deeply, and they put their love to action. Rest assured, some are still learning, as we see from the passage. There's many who protested but then received Jesus' instruction, and that's okay. It's okay to still be learning what it means to love Jesus and to love Jesus with all you have. But be warned, others make excuses. They wait. They hold back. They put their own needs and their own comforts ahead of Christ and ahead of the kingdom. They would portray Jesus when it finally calls for sacrifice. Sacrifice. and the world will gladly applaud them and pat them on the back. Our question for you today is which one are you and which one do you wanna be? If you are here today and you have spent your life waiting, waiting for the right time, waiting for the right moment, waiting for maybe a, a burning bush or a talking donkey, and have lived your life constantly holding back your best from God, because you weren't really sure if this was all it was cracked up to be. We would encourage you today to repent, to really and truly put your faith and your hope in Jesus, to make him the sole object of all your affection, to give him all of your very best because he is worthy. We talk about that in our three circles that we recognize that, that God has created all things, but because of our sin, we have departed from that design and we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And broken people always still try to get it done on their own. And so they wait. And they make excuses and they try to find other means and they try to create other priorities. But the reality is, is they know they're still broken. But the true follower of Jesus recognizes that they need Jesus. And that's what the gospel is all about. That we cannot escape brokenness from our brokenness and that we need to place our hope and trust, all of our love and all of our being in the hands of Christ, who lived for us and who have we even see from our passage, who will die for us and rise, rose from the grave three days later, and that when we repent of trying to do it on our own, of holding back, and when we believe on Jesus with all our heart, then and only then will we be able to recover and pursue and be who God has called us to be. Yes people may look at you when you go 100% sold out for Jesus and say, what a waste. But Jesus knows better. And God knows better. And they will tell you there is no greater thing you can do in your entire life than give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. God, because we know your word is truth. Lord, we praise you for the example that we get from this woman. And truly, she should be remembered throughout all of history. Every place that the gospel is proclaimed, may she be remembered because she loved Jesus. And she loved Jesus so much that she was willing to give all of her very best in order to worship him. God, I pray that all of us will make that same commitment that we will give all of our very best unto you to see your name glorified and to see the kingdom expanded. God, I pray if there is anyone in this room who has been holding back, who has been making excuses, who has been prioritizing other, other things that has let something else be Lord of their life besides Jesus, Lord, I pray that they will repent and Lord, I pray that they will come to Christ today. God, don't let them wait one more day. Don't let them make one more excuse. Don't let them hope in one more good deed. But God, may their hearts be wholly yours as they surrender their lives to you. But we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.